welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 30 of the new and improved, revamped, however you want to phrase it, Matt Bernier Show for Monday, August the 31st, 2020. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. A number of ways to find the podcast. If you're an audio-only listener, You have your Apple Podcast app, you have your Android device, you have all the other ways that you can find your your podcasts that you typically can. You can also listen over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Not only will you find this show there, you'll find the flagship show, that being the In The Money Players Podcast. You'll also find the Racing Picks Players Podcast. You'll find Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. You will find the Redboard Rewind with Spencer Lugambule. You will find JK Plus One with JK, Jonathan Kinchin. You'll find a million things. By the way, Nick Luck's home as far as the United States is concerned, for his daily podcast. All that and more in themoneypodcast.com. Make sure you head on over there. I believe Horseplayer Happy Hours are typically uploaded over there as well. Speaking of that, we'll have another one coming up this Thursday. It's for charity. Get involved. If you've been even thinking about getting into contests and you've never done it before, get involved this Thursday. It's a $20 buy-in. All you need to do, make your play. It's pick and pray all ahead of time. You go through, if you are one of the qualifiers, you move on to a full-blown BCBC qualifier on Saturday afternoon over on horseplayers.com. So again, the breakage, the not the breakage, the uh, the rake is donated to our friends at TAA, TRF, all sorts of good things going on. It's a no-brainer and it's only 20 bucks. And you can have a cocktail with me and PTF in the afternoon as we chop things up. And this week, guess what? We're going to be chopping up the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. And I forgot to mention the, the folks that watch over on YouTube. Uh, All you need to do, search bar on YouTube, Matt Bernier Show. This show and the 29 prior will pop up there. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on everything, but especially over on YouTube, thumbs up, thumbs down, whether you agree, disagree, whatever. Make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way you'll get a notification anytime anything new is uploaded to the In The Money podcast page that includes the Horse Player Happy Hours we've been doing. It includes the video podcast, the Racing Picks Players podcast, all that jazz. Again, over on YouTube, just search Matt Burner, your show. Anyway, back to the, the big piece this week. We're going to have the Friday feature with Pete Visco. Great guest. Sat down, chatted for a good 40 minutes or so about a number of different things, but specifically Friday's feature. And no, it's not going to be the Kentucky Oaks. I'm going to stick to Saratoga because it's closing weekend. Let's get some spa while we can. Race number 11 up at Saratoga. It's the West Point on turf for New York Breds. Not a big field. But a fun little group. I think it's a borderline grade three type of stake. You've got a number of really nice turf runners in there. So Pete Visco and I, we dive into that. If you want to be where Pete is this time next week, I shouldn't say that because it's going to be next Tuesday as this is upcoming Labor Day weekend. There will be no pod on Monday. It'll be recorded on Tuesday. You need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. I won't take it in email. I won't take it on Twitter or anywhere else. Carrier pigeon, nowhere has to be beneath the video player on YouTube in that comment section. You get one. Make your pick. If you win, I'll let you know, and we'll make something happen next Tuesday for the Friday feature next week. And unfortunately, it won't be from Saratoga because this is closing weekend up at the spot. Anyway, let's get back to the the big piece, the big stuff, the Kentucky Oaks, the Kentucky Derby. What else would we be talking about at the end of August? Clearly the Derby and, and the Oaks, as is tradition. It's a weird year. Everything is weird. Things that are not weird, though, the race goes on, and it's still a horse race that you need to handicap. 
you need to be realistic about your expectations, what you think going into it, who you think is going to be positioned where, all that jazz. As this video is being recorded, or this pod, on Monday afternoon, the Derby has not yet been drawn. The Oaks was drawn a few hours ago. I'm going to give you my picks for both races. Screw it. My opinion's not going to change between now and Friday or now and Saturday, barring some dramatic turn of events. And we'll start, we'll do it in chronological order. We'll start with Friday with the Kentucky Oaks, the three-year-old Phillies. I, you know, you see a lot of people talking about the the giant difference in odds. And, and when I say people talking about it, over in, in Europe, some of the books are offering three to one on Swiss Skydiver and four to five on a horse like Gamine. I've made it very clear. Um, I, I don't doubt Gamine's talent. I don't want to find out at odds on that she can't go a mile and an eighth. Now, having said that, I, her last workout that I saw over on XBTV looks spectacular, and it looked like she galloped out another half mile. So maybe this, this distance concern that I have is completely unfounded. I find it peculiar that they have kept her at one turn with the exception of the race that she nearly lost to speech, who she'll run into here again on Friday afternoon at Churchill Downs. Um, Again, would it stun me if she won and won for fun? No, but I don't want any part of her at a short price. Meanwhile, Swiss Skydiver, I'll admit, early on in her campaign, I wasn't a fan. And then we've heard a number of times that Kenny McPeak changed things up, but he, he trained her for some speed, and she's been an entirely different animal ever since then. Since she's been forwardly placed, she has really just sort of turned the corner and blossomed into this awesome, awesome filly that she is. If you were going to tell me just heads up, 3-1, to one, and with the odds incorporated, 3-1 to one on Swiss Skydiver, keeping in mind, the morning line odds, she's 8-5 to five compared to evens for uh, Gamine. If you were going to tell me 3-1 to one on Swiss Skydiver versus 4-5 to five on Gamine, I would take Swiss Skydiver every day of the week, every single time, because I just refuse to believe that they are that far apart. You can't tell me that Swiss Skydiver wins this race or I should say it the other way, that Gamine wins this race more than two times as often as Swiss Skydiver does. I just don't believe it. We'll find out on Friday. Having said that, I don't want either of them. I prefer Swiss Skydiver of the two. I like speech. I think she's good. I think she's, I don't want to say sneaky because everyone's starting to look at it and be like, oh, well, you know, I'm part of the big three, da, 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 da. Her Ashland, I think, was partially her continuing to progress but also partially, I think the racetrack helped her a little bit. I feel like Keeneland, the main track, uh, basically throughout that little five-day meet that we had in July, favored horses that were forwardly placed. She was only a length off things. She sat off of Venetian Harbor, who I think it has major distance limitations. And she took this thing over and won for fun. I think Speech is a nice filly. I think she could potentially win this race on Friday. Um, I'm picking her third. So I've given you my number two horse, Swiss Skydiver. My number three horse, Speech, and my number four horse, Gamine. Who, who am I going to pick? Anybody, if you are new to the show, this might surprise you if you've listened for more than a minute. Here we are, we're 30 episodes in. Now, I, I brought her up at the beginning when I was still making my trips out to the West Coast, out to TVG. I made a future bet on her in March, February, March, and then obviously everything went sideways. I don't know if she's good enough. I think she's better than what her speed figures would suggest, and I'm talking about the number seven. She dares the devil. Yes, it's a little bit of a, a, a heart pick. I'm not gonna, not gonna pretend that that's not the case. But there's also, I'm using the noodle a little bit here. 
I don't think the figures are necessarily indicative of her true ability, her true talent level. On paper, there is no two ways around it. She is slow right now. But I think she has the potential to at least get close to those girls. And I think she's going to work out a beautiful, beautiful trip here on Friday afternoon. She loves Churchill Downs. Perfect two for two. She's one on the lead. She's also one from closing well off of it. I think she takes up a tracking position. If you think that Gamin goes, I can't imagine Dona Veloce just walking out there. She hasn't raced since the beginning of March. She's coming into this with some big workouts in her back pocket from Southern California. You don't make this trip all the way just to run, you know, sit off of a target and take your chances. I think she's going to be aggressively ridden. So if you think Dona Veloce is going to go, if you think Gamin's going to go, we know Swiss Skydiver is not going to be that far off of it, but I think she probably just tucks into the pocket, works out a lovely trip. I also don't think speech is going to be that far off of it. I think she's going to be relatively close. Now you have Swiss Skydiver, excuse me, now you have She Dares the Devil probably perched in that three wide clear position. That would be my guess, maybe two or three lengths off of it. Depending on how fast they go, perhaps the distance starts to catch up to them. Maybe the fractions ultimately catch up to these girls that are going to be out there forwardly placed. And maybe this is when Florent Giroux and She Dares the Devil can take advantage of things. Again, if you're a figure player, she's not good enough. I'm not going to argue. If you're a class player, she's not good enough. She's She hasn't taken on good enough company. I've long believed that there's something here, and you best believe I'm going to go down with the ship if it doesn't work out. She Dares the Devil is my pick to win the Kentucky Oaks here in 2020. I have her on top. I have Swiss Skydiver in second, Speech in third, Gamine in fourth. How would I bet the race? I have this future bet on her that I've had for months um, so there probably won't be a heck of a lot more as far as win money is concerned. Uh, I am interested, in, though, in keying her in exactus. And maybe if I'm feeling crazy, maybe a try. But realistically, I'm just going to key her with the big three. The big three. With Swiss Skydiver, Speech, and Gamine. I'll use She Dares the Devil on top of those three. And then I'll flip it the other way. Use those other three girls with She Dares the Devil underneath. I love her. I don't know if she's good enough. But I'm sure as hell going to find out. She dares the devil for me. I think she wins the Kentucky Oaks this year. Now, Saturday, what most people would consider the main event of the weekend, the Kentucky Derby, a mile and a quarter, yada, yada, yada. You know the drill. Um, I've said it a number of times. I have no interest in trying to beat Tis the Law. I go through, I see these workouts. Some of these horses look really good. Um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing that Churchill Downs has been doing. Uh, Twin Spires, they've been showing sort of the works in the morning. It's a great thing that XBTV does. Um, in the afternoons, uh, whether it's in New York or in Southern California. Uh, I love when TVG does the work shows leading into the Breeders' Cup. By no means are, are many of us clockers, but there is, if you like to watch replays of horses in the afternoon and races, you can still glean some information from watching them in the mornings in their workouts and having all these different Media outlets show these works. I enjoy it. I think there's something to be gleaned and gained by checking them out and seeing how these horses look and what they're doing. I have just no reason to believe that a workout to, is going to indicate someone is going to jump up so significantly to go and beat Tis the Law. Tis the Law is either going to need to, well, he's going to need to have two things happen. He's going to need to regress, and someone else is going to need to jump up to get him. Are one of those things possible? Yes. Are both possible? Sure. I don't think they're likely, though. I think Tis the Law is going to win the race. The only horse that I'm mildly intrigued with trying to defeat him with, or I shouldn't even say trying to defeat him, because using with him is Art Collector. Now, I hate I hate the lead thing. 
Again, those of you that hate listening to lead changes, just fast forward through this. Those of you that want to humor me, he, he's just constantly been one of these horses that swaps leads left and right. I don't know that you can do that against this level of company. Having said that, and despite the fact that I think the racetrack was in their favor in the bluegrass two starts back, he put the boots to Swiss Skydiver and she came back and just absolutely ran wild up at Saratoga. So maybe it doesn't make a difference with a horse like this. Maybe he is going to be the new gun runner where you can be out there just swapping left and right. Doesn't make a difference. You're just that good. He likes Churchill Downs. He has a versatile running style, but I, I anticipate him being reasonably close to the front. Those are the only two horses that I'm looking at as genuine win contenders. And having said that, I would say Tis the Law is far and away the most likely winner in my opinion. Who else am I going to be using? And I'm going to give you five horses with those two. Three others. Five total. And you need to make a decision because if you're someone like me at this point who I've probably listed the top two in the market, if not, if it's not the top two, it's the number one and the number three in the market. I'm fading the Southern California horses. I'm fading Honor AP. I'm fading Thousand Words. I'm fading Authentic. And yes, if you want to say that's stupid, that's fine. That's your opinion. You know what's stupid? Using all the favorites. Unless you just like cash and tickets, which kind of silly. I'm trying to make some money. I'm being handed lemons, which I think are anyway. In the, not in the aspect that they're not any good, but in the aspect that there's not a lot of value. I just think the favorites are, are the logical horses. Got to take a stand somewhere. I'm going to fade that shared belief and authentic. I've made it clear. I think he's much more of a Preakness type than he is necessarily a Derby type. What does that leave me? Yes, I know he's the darling of the workouts in the mornings. Number three, I have King Guillermo. Um, I don't know if, if this horse wins the Kentucky Derby off this kind of layoff with this light a sort of foundation, it's going to be a, a hell of a training job by Juan Avila. But I, I just, from what I've seen, he looks good. I loved his Arkansas Derby, and I thought his Tampa Bay Derby, you know, again, when it first happened, I said this has got to be a terrible race. But boy, he, he really powered down the lane. I think there's legit talent here. I just wonder if 10 furlongs off this kind of layoff against this kind of company might be a little bit too much to ask as far as a win contender is concerned. Therefore, I have him third. Now, the other two are the ones where maybe you can get a little bit creative. Because again, King Guillermo, he's probably going to be the wise guy horse in here. These other two are the ones that I'm more intrigued with underneath from a price standpoint. Admittedly, I've never been a fan of one of them, but I'm, I'm warming up to him for this spot. That's enforceable from Mark Cassie. Another horse that's not fast enough on paper to win. I think he was compromising the bluegrass given the way the racetrack was sort of playing, in my opinion. I feel like he needed to be forward. He was well out of it. Don't want to hold that race against him. Louisiana Derby. Don't really want to hold that against him. Do wonder, you know, that was a race where more or less the pace held up. He's trying to rally from off of it. Didn't work. Risen Star. He just chugged along. You know, he's the kind of horse that looked like he'd run 15 miles. I don't know how fast he'll run him, but he'll run him. And that was back in the middle of February. He's been training from what I, by my estimations, by my amateur eye, he's been training very well down there. And I don't think he can win the race, but I think he can get a piece of this thing at a big number. Not only am I considering him for that sort of role, I'm looking at Sola Volante in that same sort of breath. Where I think he's the kind of horse, you're going to take him back, 
You're going to make your one run, and maybe you can catch a piece. I don't think he's good enough to win, but I think he could run third or fourth. So those are the five horses that I'm looking at in my preferred order, one through five. Tis the Law, Art Collector, King Guillermo, Enforceable, Solo Volante. How would I play the race? I absolutely despise that Churchill Downs moved this thing from a $1 Superfecta to a $0.10 cent Superfecta. Because this would be, the like for me anyway, the, the perfect year, based on the way that I'm looking at the race and I'm approaching it, for the dollar Super. And I get it. I mean, I could be way off. But the idea is it's it set up really well because it would have been kind of an economic piece. Instead, now it's $0.10. Cents. But I'm still going to give you the approach as far as the Superfecta is concerned. I'm going to use Tis the Law and Art Collector in first. Tis the Law and Art Collector in second. King Guillermo, Enforceable, Sola Volante in third. King Guillermo, Enforceable, Sola Volante in fourth. Then in another ticket, Tis and Art Collector with King Guillermo, Enforceable, Sola Volante with Tis and Art. And then with King Guillermo, Enforceable, Sola Volante in fourth. That's another play. And then the final one would be Tis the Law and Art Collector, King Guillermo, Enforceable, Solo Volante, King Guillermo, Enforceable, Solo Volante, and Tis the Law and Art Collector in fourth position. That's a very, very rough way that I would look at it. But frankly, there's not a lot else I would, I'm even mildly intrigued with. Max Player, maybe he's an underneath type. Maybe the Southern California horses are ready to go and they are, you know, Honor AP, say what you will or say what I will. He's paired up as 102 buyers. That, to me, is a dangerous sign. I looked at it a little bit more and said he might be ready to take that big step forward. you got to fade some chalk somewhere. You can't use all the chalk. You're not going to make any money that way. I'm going to fade the Southern California contingent and go on from there. That's how I'm looking at these two races. She dares the devil for me in the Kentucky Oaks. Tis the law for me in the Kentucky Derby. Where are you all going in this race? Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. We are just a few short days away from the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby. It's been a wild, wild year for a number of reasons, more important than horse racing. But it's nice that we are finally getting to the run for the Roses this coming Saturday. And obviously, the uh, I believe it's the Lilies for the Phillies on Friday. Um, not only do I want to hear about these two races, what your thoughts are, want to hear about your thoughts for the Friday feature this week. Race number 11 at Saratoga on the turf. It's the West Point. Race 11, Saratoga, Friday. Your thoughts. I need a selection beneath the video player on YouTube if you want to be involved with the Friday feature next Tuesday. This week's guest, the winner from last week. Let's talk about it. Pete Visco, hopefully going to point us in the right direction for this week's Friday feature, the 11th at Saratoga. It's the West Point. All right, Friday feature time here, and I get it. This Friday, there's probably a bigger race going on down in Kentucky, but we're still going to look at Saratoga. It's closing weekend, and to help us out this week, we have Pete Visco, who was one of two folks to correctly identify the winner of last Friday's Friday feature. First things first, Pete, welcome. Thank you for doing this. How are you? Good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for doing this. It's a it's a great it's a great little segment to have to get some of the fans involved. I think um, we all love handicapping and to be able to talk about it with someone who who we watch on TV and we listen to. It's a it's a great idea. 
without blowing up your spot as far as locale is concerned, um, I couldn't help but notice. Are you up in my neck of the woods? No, I am in uh, from the phone number. You mean? Yes. No, I used to live in Boston, and I had switched carriers okay. when I was living there. So I still kept my six one seven number, but it was years ago. Now it was probably God. It was probably about fifteen years ago. So when, yeah. Whenever I see any of those area codes pop up, it always just, <laughs> I gotta at least see if it's somebody that's. You gotta uh, ask, right? You yeah, gotta, yeah. The, the, I am. I am. Unfortunately, I'm anti anti Red Sox. As you can see, you might not be able to see. There's a, a Yankee. Yankee sign behind me so you know we have maybe some sports differences that we can we don't have to get into now as far as your background with racing is concerned kind of give us a little bit of the the story where did you grow up what did you how did you fall in love with the game x y and z sure so I grew up in North Jersey so I grew up in North New Jersey stayed a lot of my grandmother's house and from my grandmother's house I was probably less than 10 minutes to the Meadowlands um my dad took me when I was five for the first time, <laughs> best parenting, obviously, but it was, so he just took me, I mean, in a purely gambling fan sense, you know, nothing to do with horses themselves. We've never been around horses aside from being at the track. I don't even think I've ever pet a horse before, <laughs> except for, you know, maybe after a race. So we just went and I mean, I fell in love from the minute you start and then just been doing it ever since. I mean, it was in Jersey, obviously, we were pretty lucky, especially back then. We had Meadowlands. We had Garden State back then, which is long gone now. Monmouth, Atlantic City. So we had plenty of tracks, plenty to do, freehold. Um, so I started more at the Meadowlands in the harness, which is funny because you've had a lot of guests on who they're, a lot of them had gotten their start in harness as well. And it was a pretty common theme. And I don't know if there's any reason for that, just because there's a lot of harness tracks around. Yeah, and you know, I think it is an interesting piece too because I've had a number of folks with that either they're friends of friends or whatever the sort of connection may be, but they immediately assume because I talk about horse racing that I must know about harness racing as well. Yeah. And I said, look, you know about 10 times more than I do, and I recognize that you're asking if I know anything about it. I genuinely, I couldn't tell you heads or tails about harness <laughs> racing, and I think it's just one of those things everyone assumes they're the same. Maybe they are. To be honest, I don't. I don't really know. I mean, you could probably enlighten me a little bit more. I mean, are, are there similarities and differences? Well, I would say it's almost better if you're teaching someone just to read a read a program, read a form. I feel like harness is a little bit easier because the distance is the same. You're always running a mile. Um, a lot of time, the, a lot of times the horses run every week, so you're seeing the same horses. Whereas you know, in in, in the in the flats and the thoroughbreds. I mean, you maybe get once every couple months in some cases. In this case, you look and you see the same horses knocking heads every single week. And it's great because you can, you get a feel. You watch one last week and go, man, you know what? So-and-so was boxed in, got loose late, and we're closing. And maybe nobody else noticed that if they weren't watching. But then you could come right back with them next week. Whereas in, in, in the rest of the game, in the thoroughbred game, it's more, well, we'll see. They might be running at a completely different distance at a different track. But otherwise, I mean, a lot of it is, I mean, you have a mile track, half mile tracks, five eight tracks. So that's about the only variance. I would say, I feel like, I feel like that's one of those things too, though, to your point where you see these horses run so frequently and so yeah. frequently against one another. It's something that I know on sort of the, the grander scale nationally, there are a number of outlets that they're trying to push the idea of, you know, oh, well, 
I don't want to say fan favorite, but looking for horses that the general public can kind of attach to. And we've seen yeah. over the past handful of years, it's typically been the big three-year-olds that, that fans have become accustomed to seeing. Yeah. But to your point, and anyone that has been sort of in the cut their teeth the way that you did, you got to see these same horses run. And that's the thing with the standard breads that I love. They run till they're how old? I mean, they're some of these horses are well into their double digits, aren't they? They run into double digits. And plus they're running, I mean, you're talking about running sometimes 30 times a year. Yeah. So you're actually getting a, and they get, like you said, they, they don't, yeah, they don't just run in the three-year-old races and retire like, like, like the, the thoroughbreds do. And it's, I mean, that's part of the, I'm a fan. I, I think a couple weeks ago, you were having a conversation with one of the other feature winners and, you mentioned something like, I don't care who wins in some cases. And I know you didn't maybe mean it that way, but you mean like from a fan perspective in some ways, you're just really gauging the race. Yeah. Whereas when I grew up, one of my favorite things was I sort of treat it more like a, more like a, any other sport, like football, baseball, basketball, where it's fan to me, where I'm like, I'm the, I'm the one who sports hate, you know, we always talk about hate, but I sports hate where, I was a Zenyatta fan. I hated Rachel Alexandra. My all-time favorite horse is Easy Goer. I despise Sunday, Sunday Silence. Silence. Sure. I mean, I still watch the I still watch the Breeders' Cup Classic to this day, and I root <laughs> like he's going to catch him. And so for some reason, but it's it's like um, I think the one thing Thoroughbred has had a hard time doing is sort of creating those those matchups, creating like the the, the the horse that fans can get behind. And maybe in harness that happens on a much smaller niche because it's just not widely as known. But you do get attached because you're watching them every week. It's almost like your fantasy team. Like you may pick up a guy on your fantasy football team that you normally don't watch. Now you watch them because they're on your team. And now you start to like them just because you have a little bit more, you know, you're, you're more knowledgeable about them. You're just, you're paying attention more. And I think that's what happens a little bit in harness. And that's how I fell in love with it more as a fan. And so I'm a fan of the races, even if I'm not betting the races. And I just like the, I like the rankings. I like when we talk about, like you do it a lot though, in terms of Breeders' Cup. And um, even when you're doing your top 10 classic, I like just having the, the conversation about who's the best. And it's just hard. It's like, you're a boxing fan, right? Yep. Matt? I yep. think from our, boxing's the same way where it's so disjointed now, where it's, you can't really have a great conversation. You can, but then they might never fight. They might be in the same weight class because of all the crap that happens in boxing. Maybe they never fight, and we're you know we're deprived of that. And it seems like racing sometimes falls into that same that same problem. The the sort of kind of analogy that I've made for years and years now, and and maybe it just happens to fit the narrative that I'm trying to to paint, but. You go back all those years when the big sports nationally were horse racing, baseball, and boxing. Baseball is still, you know, they have their central governing body, but they've got their own issues, and it's much more of a localized regional sport now as opposed to a national sport outside of the World Series. But the common theme with horse racing and boxing, there is no central governing body, and and we can say that the NTRA was supposed to be this. I'm not going to hold that against those folks. It hasn't yeah. it hasn't been that. It's been something entirely different as far as the entity is concerned. But having different rules in different places and different ways that certain things are ruled as far as stewards are concerned in horse racing. Yeah. And then to your point, when you go and you look at boxing and you have all these different alphabet soup title belts <laughs> that are out there, and, and something as simple as, there are, you know, let's just use right now, present day as, as the easiest example. There are effectively three, I, I don't want to say household names because that's even being kind, 
But I mean, you've got the three heavyweights that that many people, if you, even if you're just a casual sports fan, you're at least familiar with Deontay Wilder. You're at least familiar with Anthony Joshua, and you're at least familiar with Tyson yeah. Fury. The problem yeah. is, who knows when and if we're actually going to end up seeing a Joshua. Fury about, you know, you heard Fury the other day say, if, look, if we can't get this thing with Wilder to happen, let's just, let's do this here in England. And, yeah. But there's, there's so much red tape that needs to, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's it, too much. And yeah. it, and it hurts the, it, it makes the general game, the broader aspect of it. You know, you don't really see these things in the UFC and I'll give the UFC credit in that aspect. And I get yeah. it. It's an entirely different model with the way everything works, but at least you get to see some of these bouts happen. Maybe you don't get they all the, the sexiest ones, but you do get to see some of them. Whereas yeah. the boxing, it's like they can't get out of their own way, and I feel, unfortunately, the same way about horse racing. Yeah, and it stinks. I mean, I think as, as lovers of, of horse racing, and, and I used to be more of a boxing fan, probably some of the, the issues that it had sort of drove me away, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but it's just you worry about that with horse racing as well. I mean, even just the – I mean, used to gin up the excitement like East Coast, oh, these are the – these are the West Coast ones, and these are the East Coast ones. And that still sort of happens in a way, but they don't even run enough sometimes to to where you get that you get that feel. It's like we look at, um, I mean, what are you running, three, maybe? I mean, actually, we got lucky this year because now they're actually running a little more. So you're going into it where Tis the Law might be even more of a household name than maybe he would have um, in a normal year, maybe he would have only run twice and then you wouldn't have really known him as much. Now he's picked up some momentum again, not for the, the real casual, sure. you know, the, the super casual fan, but I don't know. I, I don't really know how you fix it. I think the centralized body, it has to be away, but it's just, just get more interest. I like the, like some, there's so many articles around each division and how they rank and ranking them. And I like that. I think that's interesting because you can see, Oh, I can't wait if these horses run. And we had one a couple weeks ago. We had, I forget which sprint race it was, where basically like four of the top ten were all in the same race. And you're just like, that's nice. If we did that a little more often, it would just be awesome. We shouldn't have to wait till the Breeders' Cup for these some of these horses to go head-to-head. Well, and it's one of the things that drives me nuts with folks, and I, I understand, especially if you are someone who is just very much – you know, you can only go based on what the next race is and what the actual matchup is. But the folks that have always sort of sort of knocked the idea of these top 10 lists or these hypothetical matchups and whatnot, and they say, well, they're not happening, so why talk about it? That, to me, is such a short-sighted yeah. way to look at things. I mean, that's a, that's effectively what sports talk radio really is. I mean, we talk about here we are today. I know it's a, a weird year, but I mean... August 31st, this is the Major League Baseball trade deadline. So you talk yeah. about the possibility of if this trade ends up happening or if it doesn't happen for another team, then what are sort of the ramifications going forward? Isn't that part of what's what makes being a sports fan fun? Well, the best part is, I mean, the like look at certain sports have now taken over, like NFL has taken over the culture to where it's a 365-day-a-year sport, whereas in the old days, now, I mean, the day after the draft – you know, Todd McShay on ESPN is putting out his top 25 for the next year. Yeah. And you go, people just like that. People like to see rankings. People, I mean, I love it. You open an article and go, oh, good, you're ranking something. It's just it's just cool. It's short and dirty. You can you can catch up. I mean, I used to love the um, the Derby Dozen on, on yeah. Blood Wars. I still do. I mean, it's, an, it's just an awesome article because you just follow the rankings start to finish. You get some nice detail. But it's just a way to group these guys together. Um, and it's funny because some of these, some of the, the older turf horses this year seem to be in that old school mode where it just seems to be the same, 
the same horses banging heads every week. None of them are great in any way, but I think that's cool because now anybody can win. I mean, you know, even this weekend, like Channel Maker came out of this one, but it just feels like there's not one dominant horse, which again isn't always great for the big name aspect of it, but at least it's it's fun to see horses like, hey, this is a good field. They were knocking heads three weeks ago. They're doing it again. <laughs> you know, I think that's just it's interesting for the sport. Well, and I think it's the beauty of, you know, we don't, you don't have to have a superstar in every division. And, and, you know, right now it appears anyway, and we'll talk a little bit Oaks. We'll talk a little bit Derby here in a little while, but it appears as though tis the law is the superstar of the three-year-olds. That's kind of where I'm going. I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel just mainly because I think he's an exceptional talent and kind of to your point, maybe he's actually, I don't want to say earned a little bit more of a reputation given this odd year where perhaps we wouldn't have seen him as many times as we have so far. And theoretically, I mean, to, to kind of put it all in perspective, we we may still see him three more times yeah. as we're recording this on August 31st. We may still see him three more times by the end of the first week of November, which is a, awesome. which is unbelievable. And it, it's hard not to, to your point, being a fan, Look, from a gambling standpoint, he's going to be four to five in the Kentucky Derby. Everything in my in my being tells me that's probably a bad bet if you're going to be betting him outright. But yeah. I'm, I'm rooting for him. I think he's an awesome story. I think he's an awesome horse. I love that he goes out for Barkley Tag as opposed to, and I don't have anything against any of the big trainers, whether it's a, a, a Baffert or a Pletcher or a Chad or someone else, but it's a different name, and it's an old school name. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's... I don't know. I just think there's something that is good about that. But then to sort of button up the point that you were making about the old turf horses, there is also something fun about the idea that it's more or less the same, let's say, 10 to 15 horses, East or West Coast. They continue to run against each other, and they're just kind of taking turns beating one another. And and, and to me, that at least lends itself to either A, a, a fresh face, a new shooter who is either stepping up in class, trying something a little bit different, or a European invader, or whatever the case may be, or something a little outside the box to present itself. Or let's just say we get to the Breeders' Cup, and it's Breeders' Cup turf time, and it's more or less the field we saw in the Sword Dancer. It's more or less the field that we saw in the Del Mar Handicap, and maybe you throw in a bit of a curveball. At that point, it's, you know, I, I would say just let let the value be your guide. Who's being overbet, who's being underbet, yeah. that sort of thing. But I think that's an that's a fun, intriguing proposition as well. As much as I love the superstars, that can be just as much fun, if not more so. Well, plus if from a betting standpoint, you're going to get, you're going to have a chance for a little bit more value, whereas you go into some of these races and you try and beat a favorite and, you know, you're really just taking a shot with it, although I guess we're going to talk about the race that got me on the program, but really, in some cases, you're just taking a shot, depending on what your what your ultimate goal is, whether it's a tournament, whether it's you're making a win bet, whether you're doing um, horizontals, but it, it's a little it's a little annoying when you watch and you go, yeah, I love watching the great horses, and I love watching the superstars, but I don't need to watch a three to five shot win every single featured race every week. It's just, it's a little boring. You can't make any money if you're trying to, if that's your purpose. And, you know, it's nice to have a little variety, I think. Now, as far as, and you kind of uh, touched on it a little bit, last week's Friday feature, the what got you here, you were one of two folks who correctly identified, and I tweeted it after the race. I mean, shame on all of us outside. I assume you had some uh, something on, on Chad's horse selflessly where, I mean, I, a $30 win mutual in a turf graded stakes race at Saratoga for Chad Brown. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it, it should make it sense. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't, you know, I had a little bit of a short circuit when I saw the result. 
Um, I liked the horse that finished third in there. I thought she ran fine. What was your logic going into it with selflessly? Why did you like her in that spot? Honestly, I'm, uh, it's, it's not like some super overcomplicated handicapping secret. I, I bet selflessly in the Breeders' Cup juvenile turf last year, or in the, in the juvenile Philly turf last year. I, I just like the horse. I'm a sucker. <laughs> Sometimes you ask people how they sort of handicap, and, and my one flaw is always I'm a sucker for closers. Which is the worst thing to be, especially on, you know, like you say all the time, on the dirt races, you, it just doesn't work. You just have to have speed for, for the most part. Um, maybe that's why I like turf a little bit more, but I'm a sucker for closers. So going into the Breeders' Cup, I liked her. She didn't get the greatest of trips. She was, she was wide a bunch, and, and it just wasn't the best of trips, and I, I just thought she ran okay. Came back that last one, not a great break in the Wonder, I think it was the Wonder again, yeah. right, against Sweet Melania. Came back, didn't have a great break. Again, was just stuck wide, short field, sweet Melania. Just sort of had her own way on the front end. You know, didn't really have to do too much. So I figured, you know what, Chad Brown, you know, it was Irad at the time. Yeah. So I didn't realize at first that, that he was maybe not going to be on it. But it was Irad, Chad Brown, a horse that has shown the class. And sweet Melania for a horse that was going to be bet down. But I didn't maybe expect her to be three to five. But for someone who's going to be bet down that much, it's not like her figures are so much better, or it's not like on paper she was so much better than the field. It seemed a lot closer than it was. And so you sort of put all those things together, and I just like that horse. I mean, I had her, like I said, I had her in the Wonder again. I had her in the Juvenile. Sometimes you just go down in flames with the same horse. I know you've, you've talked about that a few times. Sometimes you just ride them for yeah. a few. Maybe you ride them one too many, but this time it worked out. And to your point, though, and I think it's a handicapping piece that everyone can use. Sometimes there are the horses that, however you want to chop it up, on paper, they're just, they just don't have that much of an edge on the rest of the field. And yeah. to your point, Sweet Melania, I mean, I, I had said going into that race last week when we talked about it here on the show, the idea that I don't think there are any superstars necessarily in the field. Maybe these girls will turn into something. But I don't think we have any Breeders' Cup types. And Sweet Melania... As talented as she is, from a strictly from a numbers standpoint, she is a far cry from yeah. some of the best girls, whether we're talking about the, the unis and the newspaper of records of the world or yeah. even on the West Coast with some of those girls. She's just yeah. – and to be fair, to her credit, I mean, she's only, you know, sort of mid-two-thirds of the way through her three-year-old campaign. And all of the girls coming out of that race, there's no reason that they can't take another step forward here. But – I think that is one of those instances where when you get a horse like that, to your point, she was three to five in there. It just, there was nothing on paper, even with the theoretical tactical advantage that she was supposed to have, which again, I was a little bit surprised the way the race played out. Yeah, totally. I, I figured she would be much more forward in there, but boy, even if she has that tactical edge, is it worth two, three, four, five points as far as the, the paramutual like pool is concerned? I thought that was aggressive, but... Um, again, it makes it sound like I'm redboarding here saying that, you know, and she still finished second. It's not like she ran poorly. Let's... Well, I, I actually thought she ran a really good race because she actually, instead of just showing she can go to the top, she, which she had done maybe earlier where she'd come off the pace a little bit. I thought it was an impressive race. She just got beat by someone who ran a better one. I mean, I don't think Sweet Melania did anything wrong, which is, I think you have to be, if you're a fan of hers or if you're her connections, you have to be, you have to feel positive about it. I mean, she ran the, she made the winning move. I almost thought for a second that maybe they let up a little bit. I forget, um, I forget who was riding her, but I couldn't have sworn if they maybe just didn't look over the shoulder and see selflessly because selflessly kind of, kind of snuck up. 
so maybe it was that. But I just thought she ran a solid race and just got beat that day, and that's going to happen. But, again, getting a Chad Brown at, at 15, who in the last race they ran was what? I think he was she was 5-2 to two, yeah. maybe somewhere in that range, and Sweet Melania was whatever she was, 8-5, to five, somewhere in that range. So they were close then, and one had a great trip, one didn't, and sometimes it's just all trip. We, we all have uh, very, very short memories. And, yeah. and to your point, from a wagering standpoint, and I, I chuckle, and, and I'm not throwing shots at anyone, but when we do the Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10 rankings, whoever had run well that weekend before all of a sudden leapfrogged some other horses. And I yeah. go, I, but, but they, didn't, they didn't beat each other. I mean, was that one race so far superior to anything the other horses had done? So the fact that Maximum Security, I believe, is number one now, or he's number two behind Tis the Law on the heels of his run in the Pacific Classic. I, I, it was the same kind of logic that I had for the improbable Tom's Day Toppies. If you liked improbable before that race, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. I mean, it, that, yeah. that's that's entirely plausible. But to suggest that he's the better horse because he defeated Tom's Day Ta when Tom didn't have the best of it, that seems a little bit like you're just kind of cherry-picking your, your spots there, which, again, it's the beautiful thing about a poll. There's no right-wrong answer. It's just this is what you believe it to be. And I just always find it fascinating to see it feels like the most recent thing that we remember is what people go off of and to your point i didn't think she would be six times the price that she was when she she last ran but you know i think that was a little bit of just most recent sort of thing in everyone's mind that she just i mean it's weird run. though because chad usually on the turf he always takes money so you, you're you're a little surprised just that it happened and that's one you have to catch it um it won't happen again i assume it doesn't happen much although i guess Chad had the, the turf race, what was that, last weekend where he had the three of the top choices and they yes. all ran out. So it, it happens, but, you know, normally they still all get bet. Regardless of how they actually run, they still take money. So that was that was very surprising. Well, let's, let's pivot to this Friday with the Friday feature. We're going to go to race number 11 up at Saratoga. A mile and a 16th on the inner turf. This is the big sort of New York bread stakes day up at the spot that they typically yep. have every Friday of the calendar year. Typically, it's actually the, the Friday before the Travers, but obviously this year things are a little bit different. The $150,000 West Point. Oddly enough, field of seven, no Chad Brown. So it, we can we can definitively say Chad will not win this race. We can say <laughs> that. I don't a, have to worry about that one. Yeah, you don't can, have to worry about that. We can say that for a fact. <laughs> now, when I look at this field, I understand it may not be the biggest field, but I do think this is actually you could make the argument this is a borderline grade three type of field because of some of the horses and who they have run against recently in a shorter field like this. What is your sort of what's the first thing that you go to? I mean, in all honesty, I don't. The fact that the field is short doesn't really change how I handicap it as much unless I'm looking at it to say, you know, if you have, you know, maybe if you have pure speed, pure speed can maybe get away in a shorter field and maybe isn't that much, as much to do, especially if you're breaking from the outside, you maybe don't have as, as much trouble. But I, when I looked at this, the first thing I thought of as I took my first pass was, and I wrote myself a note, I'm like, it's pretty even, anybody could win, no surprise, I mean, maybe Twisted Tom I didn't like very much, but if you won the race I wouldn't be shocked but other than that I was like this is a pretty deep field agree with you it was close to a grade grade three high high level stakes race um but I just looked at it and thought there's enough speed there's closers there's mid-pack there's a little bit of everything whatever you like it, it's in this race which I thought made it interesting to handicap 
Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, when you get a field like this where you have not only the horses coming out of the graded stakes ranks, but you have horses that are proven on the lead, that are proven from just off of it, and you have those deep closers, it kind of allows you as a handicapper to, I don't want to say look at it as if it's a level playing field, but more or less say, I, I don't know that a tactical disadvantage is going to be the reason a horse wins or loses this race. I think I think if you are good enough on the given day, I think you're going to be in with a chance. And to your point, maybe Twisted Tom is the one who doesn't really look like he belongs in here, but I can't help but be fascinated by the move that it's maker off the claim for Rapoli, and they immediately yeah, go yeah. to a turf stake. So, And now, who knows? Perhaps they're just waiting to see if this thing gets washed off the turf, which, knock on wood, it seems like the weather's supposed to cooperate with us on Friday. Um and maybe he will or won't run. Who knows? But I just I like races where it feels like you you can't necessarily use the dynamics of the race as an excuse. Everyone, yeah. whether you're a front runner or a deep closer, you more or less should have a chance if you're right. Yeah, and I like I mean I like that because I'm I'm not a, like I said I like closers and you can't really have you can't really lean towards closers even if it's a mistake if there's just hey there's just one you know there's one horse with speed. They're going to get on the front end. They're going to run around the track in a crawl, and then I'm going to be stuck in in eighth place and finish finish a nice fifth. And it's going to look okay next time, but I'm not going to you know I'm not going to hit the board like this one. I, I looked at it and went, you know, I like Rinaldi. Rinaldi, at least as far as speed, looks pretty solid. Looks like okay, he's going to go out. I I, I don't have too many questions there. Um, I guess I don't know what you thought, but blew it to me was the question mark. That last race was just. It was just weird. I kind of wrote that in my notes. It was this puzzling last race because I mean, part of the chalk entry, um, and then just just didn't fire and just went backwards and sort of, um, I, I don't know. It just finished well outside of what the form was going into that. So I, I would assume that horse would go to the top with Rinaldi, but you have to hope it's just right and it'll get there, and then they could set some sort of pace to give the rest of the field something to run at. The way that I looked at it, especially with those two that were specifically speaking of the three, Blewett and the five, Rinaldi, I love, to me, a horse like Rinaldi is always going to be in the, in any race with the chance, simply because he has the ability to lay close to the pace, but also doesn't have to have the lead. He's not a, yeah. a need-the-lead type, so he should work out a lovely trip in here. Yes, he is going up in class. There's no two ways around it, but at the same time, it's not like... I mean, he was kind of a sneaky, interesting horse in the Saranac last year, taking on open company, open group three runners or grade three runners as a three-year-old. Now he comes back, he gets through that N2X condition with the state bred group. I think he fits in here very, very well. From a speed figure standpoint, he may be a hair on the slow side, but again, he's going to work out a lovely trip. And with Blewett, so I could be way off on Blewett. I thought the way that he won the N1X down at Gulfstream back in the beginning of April, I thought it was a combination of an inside speed track where he was. I thought he got very, very drifty at the very end of the race. And to me, I thought he was carried out to that distance by the racetrack. I'm of the opinion that he does not want to go that far. I don't want to hold the commentator against him when he came back because we know funny guy. I think he's a legitimately open sort of graded stakes caliber runner as opposed to just a New York bred runner. But you saw he got short at the end of that race. If you want to say it was off the layoff, that's fine. I thought the move to turf was a little bit peculiar. And again, he yeah. got a little bit short at the end of that run. And then the most recent start back on dirt, they just it was a very, very swift pace early on, and he kind of packed it in. But I also can't help but notice sort of the this is a horse who's also owned by Rapoli. Now we have we don't have we don't have uh program numbers out. I don't know if this is gonna be a coupled entry or not. Um 
you know, would it stun me at all if Blewett was essentially in there to make sure there's a pace for a horse like Twisted Tom? No, it wouldn't stun me, but, no. uh, you know, I, I don't know for certain. And again, that's the only difficult thing about these Friday features before we get program numbers and all that jazz. Yeah. You don't know who's coupled, who's not. I, that would just be me trying to draw up some sort of a scenario there. But the bigger point with Blewett is I just I'm not sold on him at this distance. No, me neither. But I think he's he's hopefully he's just fast enough to cause some trouble early. Yes. And I yep. mean, I, agree I, with that. I don't look at him as a win contender necessarily, but I do think at least he's hopefully fast enough to give Rinaldi, you know, a little bit of trouble out there. Just keep him on his toes. so He's not, you know, just setting crazy slow fractions. And then because the horses I'm going to wind up landing on generally come a little bit more off the pace, I'd want a little bit of speed up front. Um so I don't know if you want to you want you want to sort of lean over to any of the others or if you have an idea. But I mean, I, I sort of have two. I guess you could talk to Dot Matrix. I mean, Dot Matrix, like you were saying, he actually does run in the greatest stakes races. He's coming from the bigger company. He's not always the most successful. I mean, but he likes the distance, which I always you ask usually what what's your sort of things you look at. And and I'm not not a slave to anything, but I do like if a horse is good at a distance or good at the track and, you know, horse for the course or horse for the distance. I sort of like that if it's differentiating between a couple different horses and Don Matrix likes the distance. Um, I liked it. Ran a nice race in this race last year. It's mm -hmm. sort of a silly thing to look at, but I, I enjoy the horse that ran in a race the year before and ran well. I think at least it shows an affinity. Obviously it shows an affinity for the track in some way. Um, but, I, but, but obviously he needs a little bit of something to run at. So you're hoping that, but I think he might get first jump. So whatever Rinaldi and Blewett do, I feel like dot matrix maybe gets first or second jump once they hit the lane. On my, on my first pass through, he was just kind of where my eye went because he is coming out of those races against the Saddler's Joys of the world. You go to the run two back, he ran into the two big runners for Chad and still the regard rock emperor. Uh, you go to the tiller off the layoff. You know, I guess I can make the argument that he should have gone by Perret. You know, yeah. it is it is what it is. I don't want to totally hold that against him. Uh, the Mervyn Muniz draw a line through it. He leapt in the air at the start. This is a horse who projected to be involved in that run early on. For him to blow the break as badly as he did, I'm, again, just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And you have a graded stakes victory prior to that in the John B. Connolly. So he was just kind of where my eye initially went, feeling like, you know what? He's getting proper class relief in here. The distance... Look, they've campaigned him at longer distances recently, but to your point, he's yeah. proven at this mile and the 16th in the past, and he likes Saratoga. So he was kind of where my eye initially went, but I know you had mentioned that there were two other horses you had at least kind of taken a look at. Yeah, the, so where I wound up landing, I, I sort of landed on Gucci Factor, and and, and, and again, if you, if you look at the form, it's it, monster closer. Unfortunately, again, that's where my eye gets drawn, but I think in this race, you know, obviously... The last one's concerning. I mean, anytime you're, anytime you're sort of pulled up or, or anything, you, you're concerned about the next time out. But what I did like was that he's worked consistently since. He didn't, didn't look like he really missed any time. So you're hoping it's not anything, you know, it's not anything too, too concerning. So he's, he's worked solid. Going into that race, though, I mean, based on per performance before that, he's been, he's been awesome. He never does anything wrong. I rewatched the... The one where he ran six to dot matrix, I rewatched it. I don't know if you watched that one, but I mean, he broke, basically almost felt like he fell out of the gate yep. and he was already like 10, 14 lengths behind before they even, you know, before they even went a 16th of a mile or something. So 
you almost forgive that. And he was still flying at the end. I mean, he, he was competitive. He, he came close. He was, he was still coming. He didn't just pack it in. Um, came back, got a nice win after that, then started the year and just got unlucky. I mean, whatever happened in that last one, something just happened. Um, but again, if, if he's not sound, then you're in trouble. But based on the works and the consistency of the works, I just felt like he was sound. And, you know, his past performances and just his connections and everything just leans towards he's a really good horse. And he, he, he's, he's one of the top ones in this race if he wasn't, if he didn't have that mishap last time out. I think. I think this is the kind of horse that you look at and you say, uh, to me, Christophe Clement, with the way that his barn operates, he, he's not going to run this horse here if he doesn't think he's ready to go or has a big chance. Yeah. The fact that in that Fort Marcy, uh, look, he, he was 8-1 to one against Instilled Regard, some like it hot brown. Both of those horses exited that run to win graded stakes in their next start. So, I mean, th this is a legitimately talented racehorse. And I also like that Clement is... I think he's realistic about the level of the horse. You know, you, yeah. you took a shot in the Fort Marcy. All right, for circumstances, it didn't work out, but that's not a reason to hold it against the horse. But they took a shot in the poker, and he won that race. That's an open, graded stakes race. But they also recognize there's a lot of money to be made in these New York bred ranks, and Clement has had a number of really exceptional New York bred runners that he more yeah. or less keeps in sort of that state bred rate. And, and take advantage of it. And occasionally you take a shot in, in an open group or graded level race and see if you can take a shot. Maybe you hit the board. Maybe you win the whole thing. You never know. But I like that Clement typically places them where they belong. I like that Rosario is listed to ride. That to me is a sign yeah. that this horse is certainly ready to go. I don't think they would be here if he was not. And to your point, yes, he is. He's more or less a confirmed closer, but it's not as though he hasn't had runs where he's been a little bit closer to the pace. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that he's going to be two or three off of it, but he has been in that position in some instances in the past. So maybe he can be a little bit closer to the front end if this. I think uh, the, the beautiful thing with a horse like this, it feels like anyway, you can kind of play what happens in front of you. If for whatever reason, they don't go that fast. He doesn't have to come from 17 out of it. If they no. go, you know, guns blazing early on, yeah, you can take them all the way to the back and try to make that one run. Well, in the short field, could help in that too, where you're not going to be stuck in 13, you know, 15 lengths off the pace and with too much to do. So, you know, the short field sometimes can help the speed, but if there is a bit enough speed up front, then at least you're not going to be, you know, as long as Joel keeps him in, you know, keeps him in contact. I think he could make a move and, and, and do something. So, no, I, I agree with everything you said about Kaman. And I, and I do think, though, the one thing some of these the trainers or the owners do is they overpunch their weight sometimes where you're like, this could be a really good horse if you just maybe snuck him down a level. But people get a little, I mean, it's their money. Like you always say, it's their money. I'm not going to tell anybody how to do it. They know more than me. But you're like, I feel like certain horses could be awesome if you just dropped them down and, and kept them at a certain level. And then maybe took the shot once in a while but didn't, didn't consistently get their brains beat in because you think that they can they could tussle and hit the board against these, these top-notch horses. If you're just realistic about expectations, where if yeah. you think you have, if you have a nice, and I'm just using New York bread because we're talking about a New York bread stakes race, if you have a nice New York bread, if you are so inclined to take a shot in a grade one race, good on you. Maybe it'll work. You never know. I mean, look, tis the law is going to be the heavy, heavy favorite in the Kentucky yeah. Derby on Saturday, but... There's also the reality of the situation that you may be in over your head a bit and, and rather than continue to not allow a horse to really reach their full potential, why wouldn't you just 
take it take it a notch back and, and recognize that, look we've got a good horse we don't have a superstar but we've got a really nice horse and uh, you know i mentioned it before these new york bread stakes races there is money for days it's you can money. run in so many different ones whether it's at saratoga whether it's at belmont heck whether it's at aqueduct you've got a number of different opportunities so i agree with you i think you just need to kind of be realistic one other horse i, I want to get your your opinion on before we pivot real briefly to the derby and the oaks um wrapped i like wrapped he's a nice horse i think he's probably best used underneath um therapist the other clement horse in here on the far outside where do you land with a horse like this because i'm of the opinion that this distance it ain't gonna work for him but he did come with a really nice rally at the end of that most recent start that was against open company and that big yeah. hundred and fifty thousand dollar optional claimer i've just always been of the opinion that he's better going one turn where do you land with him I, I agree with you 100%. I actually, one of the things I circled was just the 0 for 5 at the distance, you know, on top. Hits the board, always there, always gives you, always gives you a run. So you're, you know, you never, you never feel cheated when you have money on him because he, he always at least tries and he, and he gives you a late run. The only thing that that I that I sort of circled and it, and it stuck out to me. Obviously, Irad and Clement are nice, so you, you know, you can never really discount them as a combination. So it's not, it's not out of the realm that they could win this race. That his two speed figures since he came back this year, they're just, I mean, I'm looking at the, the, the Brisnet, the, the 97 and the 102. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a nice jump up. And maybe he's, you know, four to five. You still can improve from four to five, I think. I know you talk about that a lot where it's, um, where some of the horses in some of these races where they maybe have plateaued and they are what they are. But I feel like between, you know, obviously three to four, you can improve. And even four to five, I still think you can maybe be going up. So maybe he's just getting better, but it could just be that he had two really good races. Um, I mean, the mile in the 16th, he was good. He couldn't get there when he maybe should have in that last one. He still ran a nice race, but I, I had him hitting the board. I mean, I would definitely use him underneath. If I like Gucci factor on top, I would definitely put therapist underneath and take a shot to say he's definitely in the try, but I could easily, but if he won the race, definitely wouldn't be surprising especially based off those last couple figures yeah and that's the thing don't get me wrong when i say you know i I like him better i think he's better at one turn doesn't mean that he can't win this race but at a short price i would be taking a little bit of a lean against him i'd be looking at dot matrix but pete visco you have made it clear you are on board with the other clement in this spot you're going to go with the number four gucci factor is that correct yep that's it and before we get you out of here just and i'm not like i said not holding your feet to the fire just very sort of brief, uh, broad ideas about the Derby and the Oaks coming up this weekend. Well, so the Derby, like you said, I mean, to, to me, tis the law just seems far and above everyone. I, I mean, I only think if I look at it on paper, I feel like tis the law, honor AP, maybe art collector, and uh, having the authentic shirt on <laughs> as the as the mic one of the micro share owners of authentic. Even though it's funny, he wasn't. I'm not a huge Bob Baffert guy and authentic is a speed horse from the West coast, which isn't usually my lean, <laughs> but you know, once you, once you buy a tidy little piece, it changes your, sure. changes your perspective a bit. Totally. So I'm a fan of authentic. I, I, I don't know if he can win the race, um, the distance limitations, obviously, but I put him in that group just for, you know, just for heart's sake, I'll put him in there. But I mean, I, as I looked at it and, and I wrote some stuff down, but I was just thinking, I, I don't know how you get past any of those top, those top few. I mean, the rest, it seems like you're just playing for money. I have um, me and two other guys, we do pick fives every week, pick fives and pick sixes as a group. 
and they've been talking to me forever about honor AP and they want to beat Tisdale Law. And I, I just keep saying, you know what? He just looks like a monster. Maybe you're just not going to beat him. So let's not not put him on top of some bets just because we're trying to beat him. Um, maybe the post can compromise him depending on where he lands. I mean, if he hits the one hole maybe or something. But, I mean, he trains like a monster. He runs like a monster. He's in impervious to, to track. It doesn't matter. He just looks great every single time. And he runs the perfect derby trip. I mean, he could sit right off. I mean, he's not the, the big closer, doesn't need the lead. He could sit third or fourth, and, and and I think he just gets his first run. I mean, unless you catch him. I mean, Honor AP, I feel like he needs a clean trip. I don't know if you think Honor AP, he's one of those big, heavy horses who looks like he's going to have to hit the lane and need a, a nice nice lane to run down. Like He's not going to be weaving between horses and stuff. So I feel like he can maybe get him, but... Tis the law can make his own trip a lot better, I think, than some of those others can. And any idea on the Oaks? Any any lean between Gamine and yeah, Skydiver? I, I mean, I, obviously Gamine is 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 unbelievable those last couple races. But I was leaning toward Dona Veloce just okay. because when I saw the odds come out today, I don't know if you you took a peek when they when they popped up, and I mean, fifteen to one um, for a horse that when she first came around was supposed to be the monster. I mean, a lot of these were supposed to be the great one when they started and she had her own issues. And I watched the, um, I watched her last race last time when she beat speech, I watched it last night again and she looked awesome. I mean, she just, she powered away and she buried speech. And it's not like speech had a bad trip. Speech had a great trip, just buried her. And then it unfortunately just got taken away. But at, at 15 to one, I mean, if you're going to try and make some money, it's hard to go against the first two. I mean, what can you say against Gamine and Swiss Skydiver? They've done everything right. Um, Swiss Skydiver, you had maybe some distance concerns, but she put those to, to bed that. last time. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better. There's no better statement race that you can make than the one she ran. I mean, I tried to beat her like a dummy and didn't. And um, So I, I don't know. I mean, Gamine, you're obviously going to need to have some pressure on her. If they let her run wild, she could easily wire the field. I can tell you, too, though, in the his, in the history of my gambling on the Oaks, I suck. I never <laughs> win the Oaks for whatever reason. I don't know why. It's just one of those few races. That one and, like, the, the Breeders' Cup turf sprint, two come to mind where I'm like, I feel like I don't think I've ever cashed a ticket on those races. So I would take all this with a grain of salt. But um, if you're going to – I mean, if I'm doing a pick five or if I'm doing a pick six, obviously you can't leave the top two out. But I would take a shot with Dona Veloce and then Speech. I really like Speech. I'm just not sure she's ready to beat. She's ready to beat these girls. And, and that's that's the big thing with the Oaks specifically. You don't have to beat one. You got to beat two, possibly three. And yeah. you know it, it's definitely a bit of an uphill battle. But if you do so with one of the horses that are outside the top two or three, you're certainly going to get paid. Pete Visco, thank you so much for your time here this afternoon. Are you on Twitter? Yeah, I am. I don't really tweet much. I'm more of a follower, but I'm at PJV1228. If anybody wants to wants to check me out, maybe I'll tweet a little more after this. But uh, yeah, I definitely follow. I, I love to follow. There's so many good horse Twitter follows to have that you can really stay in the know and, and, and keep a lookout. So so I um, I suggest anyone to, to do that as well. Pete, thank you so much for the time. Good luck this weekend, not just in the Friday feature, which again is Saratoga's 11th on Friday, but also with the Derby and the Oaks down at Churchill this weekend. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate the time. Take care. Thanks.
There it is. Thank you to Pete Visco for helping out with the Friday feature this week. Again, Saratoga's 11th on Friday, the West Point. That is going to be the final Friday feature from Saratoga here in 2020. That's a little bit disappointing. But the good news is, and I always, you got to, you know, you got to take the positives. Whenever Saratoga comes to an end, that means we're that much closer to the Breeders' Cup. So take that as a positive. You know, don't always have to be disappointed with everything. Try to spin a positive out of a not-so-positive situation. So that's the Friday feature this week, race number 11 up at Saratoga. Obviously, all eyes are going to be down in Louisville Friday and Saturday with the Kentucky Oaks, the Kentucky Derby, and all of the accompanied sort of stakes races that will be on the undercards. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a boatload of stuff to talk about next week. Again, the show will not be recorded until Tuesday. So if you're involved with the Friday feature... Or if you're just looking for the pod, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Android or in themoneypodcast.com or on YouTube, will not be up until Tuesday because Monday's Labor Day. FYI. If you want to follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, any other things, questions, comments, concerns beneath the video player on YouTube, you know the drill by now. However you listen, please rate, review, and subscribe. Bell icon lit up. On YouTube, so you get notifications anytime anything new is uploaded to the channel. Uh, she dares the devil for me on Friday. Tis the law for me on Saturday. Whoever you're going to go with, whatever you're going to do, whatever the case may be, good luck. However you're playing, whatever you're playing, wherever you're playing. This has been episode 30 of the Matt Bernier Show. Enjoy the Oaks. Enjoy the Derby. Be back next Tuesday.